0: So I've been thinking a lot about this community, and about um, who we are, what we are, and so on. It's obviously about that time of year that a new season of Boston's life cycle is going to be kicked off with um, uh, just many, many people flooding into the city, um, some for the first time, some returning after summer's away, and so on and so forth. So I've I've been thinking a lot, and I, I just want to declare to you that our purpose as a church is not to have really good church services. Um, now I I know that we're Anglicans and I I know that I'm an Anglican priest and I know that we believe in liturgy and we believe in the power of of what we do Sunday after Sunday so don't hear me saying um, something to the contrary but uh, I fear that sometimes so much of what church becomes about is the big Sunday thing um, that we come to just to kind of go through and then we go about life sort of sealed off from the rest of the world um, or from the rest of what happened on Sunday and we come back to a Sunday and that's just not what we're about obviously, as a church family, as a mission in the city. We, we've often talked of ourselves as a missional family. And, uh, and I would put to you that the, the number one thing that we want to do and to be as a community is a band of renegade missionaries in the city of Boston whose lives have literally been changed by the power of God in some uh, profound way and, and who are living not just Sunday from 4.30 to 7 or 3.30 if you come to pray or whatever time you leave, um, and, and maybe once in a week with a neighborhood group, but whose lives are literally um, filled with the Spirit in everything that we do, um, day in and day out, in, in, the, in the world, in the place, in the vocation that the Lord has called us to. So that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's at least my heart, I, and I, I really believe that heart is shared by, by many of us in this community, that God is calling us to something um, significant in Him that, that, that can't be contained by the structures that our common life take on together. It's bigger than that. It goes beyond that. We've often talked about a missional consciousness um, as a church family. What does it mean to have a missional consciousness, to live 24 hours of the day, seven days a week, um, as a servant, a faithful servant of Jesus, saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Let me give my life to you. Let me offer myself to you. Whatever you've got for me today, waking up in the morning, the first thoughts of our day, not, oh man, what do I have to get through today? But God, what do you want from me today? How do you want to use me today in, in the larger purposes of your kingdom and your work in this city and even in this church community? How do you want to use me? How can I, how can I offer myself to your services for, for, for this day? That's where we want to go. So everything that we do um, from these formal services of worship where we come for word and sacrament, to be fed deeply by God, by his spirit, and, and to be empowered, to be strengthened. I, I, I i knew a pastor once who said he wished that the pews were facing outward so that it didn't give the wrong impression that actually you're here as we say at the end of the service let us go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the spirit thanks be to god because we're, we're coming here not just to kind of feel good about being here but to be sent back out there to be uh to be faithful servants of christ in the city of boston in in whatever way that god has called us now each of us will do that uniquely obviously with our different giftings different callings and so on so where am i going so We're actually in Colossians tonight, in Colossians 1. Um, Paul is writing this letter to Colossae, to the church in Colossae. There's three passages up there. We're going to talk about hope tonight. But um, before I get to that, just Paul's writing this letter to these Christians. Now, you have to understand the church was founded maybe seven to ten years before this letter was written. Paul didn't found the church. Epaphras did. And he writes about Epaphras um, even in, in chapter 1. And Paul's writing with the heart of an apostle, the heart of a pastor, the heart of a, uh, of a leader in God's church to see that this little renegade group of followers of Jesus would be uh, inflamed in their ability to do the work of God, to be the missionaries that God had called them to be, to be sent. So he goes through this letter and, and he encourages them with the truth of all that God has done. And then he, he writes for them to, to take off all the sin of their lives and to put on these new virtues that are um, found in the Spirit and to live a whole new way. That's what the letter is for. So Paul's writing this letter to encourage a church... In a small town in Colossae. Now understand as well that the church in the first century was not you know, the, social club, the social club place to be. It, was, it really was a group of renegade people who had given up something pretty significant to now be associated with this sect in the first century that was new. And to proclaim and worship a, a crucified, which is so mind-boggling, Messiah, Savior, who was actually raised from the dead, bodily raised from the dead three days later. They're gathered in his name to worship him. Some of them have left their positions, not maybe left them um, physically, but but at least left the security of of the Roman imperial cult, the the mainstream culture, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, which was to to entrust themselves to a Roman emperor and the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, that if you pay allegiance to Caesar and if you give your life to Caesar, who is another, who who, um, as many of you know is called Lord in the first century, Caesar is Lord, then Um, Rome and Caesar and all of his power that's at his disposal will bring about peace and prosperity and blessing and so if you found yourself in this little church in Colossae in in 53 AD or so Paul's maybe writing in 62 AD um, you had given up that hope you had given up your your security in that place even if you were a person of of somewhat substantial standing in the Roman culture because you would you'd, you'd opted into something different now other another kind of major narrative against which the letter of colossians is written is the, is the jewish hope Um, Judaism was was a force to be reckoned with in the first century and it is the 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 movement out of which Jesus was a Jew so obviously the 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 movement of Christianity in in its earliest days was coming right out of Judaism and there's lots of interesting scholarship about um, to what extent was it coming out to what extent was it a renewal movement within and so on and so forth but the reality was if you're a Roman like um, authority and you're looking out over the people that you rule Jews have a known place in the Roman Empire. They're ancient, and in in the Roman Empire, ancient was good. New novel was bad. And and so um, the Christian sect of Judaism was looked upon uh, with increasing disdain, and that grew and grew, um, obviously, in the first century of the church. So, you left that kind of security behind and you'd embrace this, again, this crucified Messiah. So, that's the context. Paul's writing to that group of people. And just to be clear, that group of people isn't a lot different from you and from me today. This is the church, the church, universal, spanning throughout time and across the world. This is the church. And one of the things that we love about the scriptures is that as we listen carefully to what the spirit of god is saying through the apostle paul to the church in colossi in this letter we hear again in a fresh way what he's saying to the church in boston in the 21st century we listen carefully we don't rip it out of context but we listen carefully to hear again what paul would be saying to the church so um you might be wondering you now why we're not actually going to be in colossians beyond today so far as i know unless the spirit changes things this week but um I was reading Colossians recently, uh, and, and I don't know, sometimes it's really good, I think. You know, sometimes we read the Bible in kind of bits and chunks, and sometimes we read it in kind of large swaths. And I, I would commend that to you sometimes just to sit down and read a whole epistle. Um, it doesn't take very long, maybe 20 minutes to read the book of Colossians. And I, and I was reading through it, and it just struck me so deeply that as Paul's writing to encourage this first century early church church, that he three times in the first chapter, he mentions this word hope. So he wants to encourage them to be faithful disciples of Jesus in a hostile culture. And he writes of this word hope three times. And I just want us to to spend the remainder of our time looking at this issue of hope and why Paul uses this. What is he saying with this? And and just to say uh, a few things. The first reference in in verse 5. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So he's giving thanks at the beginning of the letter since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. In other words, the first thing that Paul's saying about hope is that hope is actually the foundation or the enabler of the faith and love that he's heard about and is giving thanks for. He says, we've heard of this faith. We've heard of this love that you have for all the saints. And he makes this causal connection. It says, it's because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. This hope which is the divine promises that are focused on the future and are stored up and waiting for the people of God, waiting to bring about new realities and the new age, the ultimate new age, the final shalom, the peace and the blessing that every single human being longs for and aches for in their heart, whether they know it or not. That's why some people buy MacBooks, you know? The thing that we long to fill, that's what we're longing for, is the ultimate hope that God has to bring about in the world. And he says to them in, in this um, first mention of hope that it's secure, it's laid up for you in heaven. Meaning that the hope that we have as Christians is not something, thanks be to God, that's dependent upon you or dependent upon me. It's not something that's And Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? We hear this vision to be a faithful missionary in the city of Boston. We we, we sense this call. We get excited. And then all of a sudden we start running out with with all of our little energy and strength. And then we trip up and we fall and we stumble. And we do it again and again and again. And if this thing depended upon you and it depended upon me, it'd be a a terrible piece of news for us. But the reality is, is that God is actually at work. And God is the one who secures the future that we place our hope in, that we trust in deeply. And that security in the hope actually undergirds the mission of life in the present. I'll come back to that maybe at the end. So that's the first reference to hope. The second reference to hope comes later in verse 23. Um, in order to present you, Paul says, um, holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So here's that second mention of hope. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel you've heard. The issue at at play here in this section of the chapter is endurance, perseverance. Paul's saying, you know, you are going to be reconciled if you continue in this faith and perseverance. That's a biblical doctrine that we persevere to the end. Those whose faith is genuine do persevere. And he's saying the hope is the anchor. The hope is the grounding of that perseverance. So if you want to persevere, don't shift from the hope. Don't leave your hope in what God is doing and bringing and and run after some kind of lesser hope, lesser thing in the present day. Because if you do, you'll probably begin to falter and to stumble and not to persevere. So hope grounds this this ultimate end of perseverance, of faithfulness to death, of the missionaries who follow Jesus. So it's the key to endurance. And interestingly, in both of those first references to hope, what is hope linked to? Of this you have heard in the first paragraph, before in the word of the truth, the gospel. In the second reference, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The hope of the church is linked to the good news, the good news that we have to offer to the world. If we don't have good news to give to the world, then we don't have anything to give to the world. If you don't have good news to give tomorrow in your workplace then you, you don't have anything to give it's this gospel and, and so just in staying in first in colossians 1 let me let me say a couple things about this gospel just first broadly the gospel is a declaration of what god has done in jesus for the whole world which includes you and it includes me it's a declaration that's embedded in a story from creation to new creation and it gives you, and it gives me, an identity and a depth of purpose and reality as we go out and live our lives in the world. So the gospel is this broad and comprehensive thing. But in, in, in Colossians one, Paul pulls this thing together in in two ways, and he says, you know, in in the, in um, later in, or in the middle section of chapter one, he's 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 just kind of. Praising God for what He's done, and He's saying, you know, may God um, give you all power that you could endure with patience and joy, and give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. There's that future orientation. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and literally transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. One of the things about the gospel is actually the fact that that we were stuck in darkness. We were stuck in going kind of nowhere. We were stuck on a dead-end street in a dark alley with no future, no hope, no nothing. Now, note Paul's writing to Gentiles. They didn't even have participation in the Jewish covenants. They were kind of without God, outside on the edge, and that's a picture of where we were as well in sin, and so he's saying, you know, that this gospel is about you literally being taken out of one context and placed into a different one, placed into the, to the kingdom of, of his beloved son, Jesus. Um, this, this, this inheritance of the saints in light. So you've been literally transferred. And that's one of the realities that, that Paul points to, and forgiven and placed in this new place. And then the question is, well, so, okay, if we've been transferred, well, who in the world did the transferring? And that's where you get this great hymn about Jesus in Colossians 1, where the two things that come to the fore are Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He's the one through whom, by whom, and for whom. All things exist. So you weren't, you know, just brought in. Now think about it again. In in the midst of the first century, these guys have left the Pax Romana. They've left the kind of ruling power of the day, Caesar's Lord. They've jumped in with Jesus. Well, who's Jesus? He's the world's true Lord. He is ultimately the one through whom, by whom, and for whom all things were created. In other words, this little renegade group of people, your hope is anchored in the God of the universe. There's no power bigger. Caesar's not bigger. All the armies of Rome are not bigger than him. That's amazing, amazing news. And he's the one who grabbed you in darkness and brought you into light. He's the one who's transferred you from one place and put you in another one that has hope and a future. And not only is he the the universal Lord over all creation, but then it says he's the firstborn of the new creation. He's the firstborn from among the dead. He's been raised again. So this new life, this hope that we're looking forward to is grounded in his resurrection and his reality. That's the one who's brought you into this new place of existence. That's the gospel that brings the hope. And you have a part to play. You have a a right to this. You have an inheritance now in this this hope, this future that God is bringing about. Um, A couple years ago, I was sharing about the call of Jesus on our lives to to a woman who who didn't really walk with Christ. And And I was just sharing that Jesus calls us to actually give up our lives, to die, and to then give our lives away. That's what he calls us to. And so our whole point as Christians is actually not to live for ourselves. It's not to kind of go out and shape the world according to the way I want it to be for me. But it's actually to give myself up, to, to, to pour myself out, to serve other people. That's what the call is. And she kind of, she got it and then she looked at me and she's like, well, who's going to take care of you? There's a great question. You know, if you're spending your whole life kind of focused on loving and caring for others and and trying to meet the needs of others and serving people um, with this radical commitment to following Jesus, who's going to take care of you? And that's one of the beautiful things about this gospel, is that we now have God on our side. As the Psalms say many times, the Lord is our helper. God is on our side. And so he can and he will take care of us as we commit ourselves. And this is what we have a share in and have an inheritance in. So what is this hope, ultimately? Um, Paul finally gets to that in verse 27 of chapter 1, um, up there for you. As he says this, this phrase, you know, he says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of what? Of glory the hope of glory. Now you might think, now what? I I thought I was supposed to not kind of long for glory. Actually, you were made for glory. We were made for glory as human beings. We were created in the image of God, given a dignified place as as his rulers, as his servants, underneath his authority in all of creation. We were made for glory But we know, as the story goes, that Adam sinned and Eve sinned, and Paul says in Romans 3 that all have fallen short of the glory of God, that we've fallen from that, we've been marred from that. But that is the future, and that future of glory is ultimately one of resurrection. When all the sin and all the junk and all the the misplaced hopes and dreams and the, the shattered things, the pain, the suffering, when all those things are washed away in the newness of God's new heavens and new earth, And we finally and fully embrace our real true vocation as human beings made in the image of God, as those who now share glory with our brother, our elder brother, Jesus. Paul writes about this in Romans 8. We won't take the time to go there, but he writes about this in Romans 8, that it's glory that we're headed to, this resurrection life that we're headed to, not decay, not weakness, not death, in fact, that thing, that death, which is kind of like the great dragon that rules over every dream, every hope, every longing, that finally has this final word that we in a, as a community have, have brushed up against closely to at many points, not least of which is now with our brother Jeff as he's going through um, the bout that he is with cancer. But that thing has been defeated, And so this Christian hope is a hope that goes beyond the very thing that can squelch every other dream and hope and thing that we long for. And this is what we hold on to. This is what we hold on to. So Paul is saying to the church in Colossae that hope grounds us. Hope drives us. Hope becomes the foundation through which our missional life can actually take place. Hope gives us the ability to endure hope of glory, hope of resurrection. So I want to close by just asking the question, so why is it that hope is something that can get so kind of marginalized in our Christian lives? Why is it that that hope is something that gets so small sometimes? Why does it feature so so little oftentimes in our lives? And just to be clear, I'm not, not asking this to kind of beat us over the head. I'm just asking this to be provocative. Ask these questions. Ask this question um, of, of yourself. Why is it that w- sometimes when we sit around with, with brothers and sisters in Christ, like we're just kind of down, you know? We just, and, and now I'm not saying, I'm not, don't hear me. You guys know me well enough to know. I'm not saying like we're, you know, we're called to be happy, clappy, smiley all the time. You know, blessed are those who mourn. So I want to acknowledge that. But, but why is it that sometimes we, we, we just start kind of like, just swimming in the mire of of this world and of life, because life is hard, and life sometimes isn't what we always wanted it to be. You know, think about that. Why, Why is it that we don't actually realize that in our back pocket we have this trump card? that says, you know, whatever comes, whatever I face, whatever dream of mine that gets shattered in this world, I have a future that's certain and secure. I have something that's promised to me that's so much better than anything that the world has to offer me. Anything, any, any of my dreams, however good those may be, for, for, for even for this church and the vision to be a missionary community in the city of Boston that, that brings about um, the kingdom of God in some further, some small way in the city, even that dream pales in comparison to the reality of the future that is ours in Jesus, which is this hope of resurrection, this hope of glory that's promised to us. Why is it that that trump card so often doesn't come into play in my consciousness or your consciousness? I mean, think about, seriously, just think about for a moment, what's the thing that you're, that maybe that really excites you right now? What's the thing that consumes a lot of your heart and your mind right now? Now, it may be a great thing. It may be, in fact, that God has given you that thing. I mean, one of the things I'm thinking a lot about, and I know many of you are as well, is this little community that God has called together. And and I love that, and I'm thankful for that, and that's a great thing. But that doesn't replace the reality of resurrection. When Paul was writing in 62 AD from a prison cell where he had been given up, he had given up his life, he had given up his Roman citizenship, he had given up a, 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 glor- a storied and gloried career as a Jew, he had given all those things up to become united to this, this renegade Messiah, this crucified man who had been ra- ra- raised from the dead. He's writing from a prison cell, and he's writing to this church wanting to encourage them, and he says, hope, 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 I want you to have this anchor deep within your heart that then what frees you to live for him in a whole new way? That's the first reference to hope. Because if you're hoping in something that's not the resurrection, even if you're hoping in this little church community, or if you're hoping in your own vision for for the kingdom of God, or if you're hoping in something um, maybe just entirely selfish and vain, if you're hoping in any of those things, you will become distracted by those things those things will begin to create anxiety in you and fear in you. They'll begin to consume you in ways that they were never meant to do. They'll begin to bear burdens that they were never meant to bear. But if we hope in resurrection, this hope of glory, if we find a rootedness there, an anchor there, then and only then are we literally freed to expend all of ourselves all that we have, all that we are, in an intentional and decisive and daily and five minutes at a time kind of way for the sake of our King. Because in doing so, we know that we might lose some of the things that we cherish. We might lose some of the dreams that we long for. But as we do, we know that we're more and more identifying with the one thing that will last, the one thing that will endure to the end. I just can't see the church in Colossae saying, we're going to go change Colossae for Jesus and that's our hope. They weren't. But they saw something deeper. Paul wanted them to see something deeper. It's just not about you. It's it's not about me. It's, It's not about what we can do. As much as Paul will then in this letter call them to that, But if that's ever even going to get off the ground it's about god and what he's done in this gospel that he's transferred you that he's given you a new hope he's given you a future that is laid up for you in heaven and cannot be touched it's promised and it's certain and it's secure that's what will drive us forward that's the thing that we that we celebrate that's the reason that we come here and that we worship and we lay our stuff down before god and we say god use me send me because i know that whatever happens Whatever I face, I've got this certain future. It's that, that's in your back pocket. Don't forget it this week. Amen.